We are continuing our series called A Disciple's Path this morning. As we are in our third week, we are discerning not only what does it mean to be a disciple, somebody who follows Jesus, um, but what does it mean for us to do that with our Wesleyan lens? What does it mean for us to be members of Dauphin Way United Methodist Church? Many of us took our membership vows years and years ago. Some of us are contemplating whether or not to do so. And this is a chance for us to remember, what were those vows and what do they mean? We promise one another when we join this church, we make a promise, a vow, a covenant that says that we will offer our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. What does it mean for you to offer those things to the Lord and to one another? As we have already discussed prayers, this week we will be discussing presence and We said last week that if I could serve anywhere, I would want to serve a church that has people who pray because the power of prayer is transformational. And yet I also think, too, I'm most excited in the entire series about this particular subject. To me, this is the heart of the gospel. You will not find anything any more true than what we will discuss today. So with that in mind, will you go with me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And all God's people said, y'all should know me well enough by now. I'm just saying. I mean, somebody saw me in my bow tie on earlier. They said, you're back in festival again? I couldn't tell if that was excited or not. Uh, We did tell you Michael and I will be more um, regularly being back and forth, and so you will see me more, and they will see Michael more, and we will be in both places. And so you know, we've been a family long enough now, that when I say all God's people said amen, I'm not looking for amen. (laughs) Because if you say amen, you are agreeing with that prayer. It is something you affirm. And so you don't have to say it half-heartedly. You can say it like you mean it. It's okay. I know we're Methodists. But we, we, we found it was an exciting theology, some exciting practice. So before we start, one more time. And all God's people say, Amen. Oh, good night. That was good. Y'all know, back in like the 1940s, back in the 1940s, there was an atheist philosopher. He wrote a play called No Exit. In that play, John Paul Sartre gave us what has become a very common phrase, a popular line. He said, hell is other people. Not long after that, though, there was a Christian by the name of C.S. Lewis who disagreed with that idea. And so one year later, he published a book about a group of folks who took a bus ride from hell to heaven. And he described hell a little bit differently. Lewis imagined hell as a place where you never have to put up with other people. If you've never read The Great Divorce, you should. It's a pretty simple, it's an easy to read book. It's goofy at times because instead of fire and brimstone, Lewis describes hell as a city where anyone can build a house just by thinking about it. It's so easy to build a house that when you get upset with your neighbors, you can just think about it and move. I know some of us have from time to time wished we had that ability, but in this book, if you get angry, you move. If you feel ashamed, you just move. The hell that Lewis imagines in The Great Divorce 
is a place where isolation breeds suspicion, which breeds fear, which pushes everyone deeper into isolation. If that doesn't sound much like hell to you, then I encourage you that you should perhaps read the end of the book of Judges, where hell is described, or Israel is described in kind of a hell on earth. It's a raw, and it's an awful, and, it's, and it would be not allowed on network television today. The last words of Judges sums up the situation like this. The Israelites set out from there at the time, heading home to their respective tribes and clans. They all left there for their own territories. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Each person did what they thought to be right. Each person did what they thought to be right. I guess in a way that is not too dissimilar from our day to day, right? I, for one, don't think it's right that the movie theater can charge me $15 for a ticket and not clean the sticky floors where my feet get stuck, which is why I don't go to the movies anymore. I don't go to the movies anymore because I want to watch what I want to watch, and I can do that now from the comfort of my home in my red recliner that I love so much. And thank God for cable, because I don't have to deal with not cable. I can watch exactly what I want to because I have cable. And because of cable, I can watch the things that are only good, which would be sports and dramas, because heaven knows that the news on cable network or on cable TV, they don't have it right. So why would I waste my time watching the news? Because everybody's politics are wrong on TV, obviously, because they don't understand the world like I do. And so I don't even have to watch those things. And me and the 4,000 other people that are part of the Not Stupid Party can connect on Facebook. And we can talk about the things that we know are right because they are right. But maybe one day, you know, since we never have to meet face to face, we can decide that we don't have to listen to anybody else anymore. And at some point, maybe I'll even get off that Facebook group and just tell myself as a reminder that I know it's right. So it turns out Lewis was pretty genius when it came to human nature. Just maybe not so much how we would isolate ourselves. Because Surprisingly, over the last 30 years, people in the developed world have become more and more urban. We've moved closer together rather than farther away, but the result for many of us is that we feel more isolated and not less. Have you experienced that in your own life? That even though we have this technology that's supposed to give us instant communication, which was supposed to bring us together, it only seems like it brought us together with fewer and fewer people who were just like us. We value people less for who they are and more for what they think. And then we choose to listen only to those that think like us. We are busy reducing people to their opinions. Perhaps one day we'll have the technology where we won't have to have neighbors at all. Today, I want us to see that this growing isolation is something of great importance to Jesus. This propensity to pull away is a problem for the gospel. 
The passage we read today comes from Jesus' last words to the disciples before he was arrested. It's part of a sermon that is called the Farewell Discourse. It stretches across five chapters in John's Gospel. These instructions are so important to John that they take up a full quarter of his book. And what we read today are the last words of those last words. Hear me again. What we read today was the grand finale of the most important things that Jesus had to say to his disciples. These words are important. It's not that all of Jesus' words are not important. They are, but these are especially important. Because at the end, he offers a prayer to God. And in that prayer, he could have prayed for anything. He could have prayed for safety. He could have prayed that these people work miracles. He could have prayed that they have all the knowledge or that they are the most peaceful or that they are the most fill in the blank. What do you wish Jesus would have prayed for? But at the very end, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prayed that they would be one. And he didn't only pray for those disciples that were present. He prayed also for those disciples that are to come. He prayed for us. He prayed for you. Jesus prayed for me. And he prayed that we would be one. He said, I pray they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Throughout our study on the disciples' path, we've been looking at these core commitments, prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. And in this idea of presence, we are talking about how we can be the answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus prayed a prayer that you and I have the opportunity to help fulfill. Because we cannot do this life of a Christian disciple following without one another. In Paul's letter and in Kat's sermon just a minute ago, Paul says that the body of Christ is made up of many parts. Just as our human bodies are made up of many parts, you cannot say to somebody else that they're not part of the body just because they're not like you. They don't think like you. They don't act like you. They don't do what you do. Just as I can't say that to you, and you can't say that to me. The body needs each of us. So let me put it plainly. You are not a disciple unless you are walking alongside other disciples. You cannot have a living faith unless you are living in the presence of others. You cannot be a Christian in isolation. It doesn't work. It's not compatible. You cannot be a Christian in isolation. A few years back, the United Methodist Church commissioned a study of 2,000 congregations and 4,000 pastors. They wanted to know what were the most common characteristics of vital churches. And by that, they meant churches that are experiencing the most adult professions of faith, the churches that are seeing lives transformed, the people who are making disciples that make a difference. And they studied these churches, and they found that there's not a lot of things they have in common. They are small churches and large churches. They have male and female pastors. They are contemporary, and some are traditional worshiping. But the two most common characteristics of these vital churches, these difference-making churches, are one, that the people of that church are present 
in small groups, in Sunday schools, in separate clubs, and things that connect them to the church. Vital churches bear fruit when more members belong to some sort of group, when they can watch over themselves and others, and they can be watched over by others. Second, the churches bear fruit when their members worship in a way that engages their whole life, that it is not just coming and watching, but it is participating and experiencing worship in a way that transforms them. They say, what I have just heard makes me want to go out and do something What I have just sung was truly from my heart. The prayers that we prayed were meaningful for my soul. The two most important things were that they were present. The people are present. Now, like we said with prayer last week, I believe there are a variety of ways to get plugged in, to be present. Small groups, supper clubs, Bible studies, Sunday school, whatever it might be. But I do ask you, are you connected? Are you being present? Obviously, you are present here on a Sunday morning. If this is your first time here in a while, thank you for being back. If this is your first time here ever, please, we would love to be your family. Because incredible worship happens here every week. The music, the prayers, the preaching whenever the other preacher is here. If you're new, trust me on that one. But sometimes we think things have to be perfect for us to be able to get plugged in, right? Our life has to be settled down so we can get in a group of some sort. Sunday mornings need to be calm or else we're probably not going to make it to worship. Have you ever had one of those frantic Sunday mornings where the kids can't find their shoes? Breakfast is an ego on the run in the car. You spilled something on your shirt. I had one of those mornings this morning for the, one of the first times that August, my daughter, acted like a toddler. We didn't know what was wrong. I still don't know what was going on. Hopefully after service, she'll be super happy. But she did not want to get up. She did not want to get ready. She didn't want anything but to be held by daddy. And I got to tell you, I almost skipped worship today. Because <laughs> when she just wanted to hold my neck, I'm like, okay, I can do this. But it wasn't the perfect scenario for getting ready for worship, right? And I get it. It's different. I'm paid to be here. I am a professional, you know, pastor. I still can't believe it sometimes. But hear me when I say things do not have to be perfect for you to be present. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace offers us peace. When we are here with one another, God's grace works for those and through those with whom we are present with. God's grace reminds us that you are not alone in your parental struggles, that you are not alone in your grief that you've experienced, that you are not alone in the struggles you are going through. Being present helps us experience the grace and power of God. Now, don't hear me say that it's just easy all the time. If you show up, all will be easy. Relationships are not easy. Can I get an amen on that? Y'all know that's true. That's why I say amen. Relationships can be some of the hardest things whether it's with your spouse or your sibling, your parent, your friends, your coworkers, your children. Relationships can be exceedingly difficult, but unbelievably rewarding. I've been in the church a long time. I was born, been here every Sunday. I've always been in the church. And one of the things I've learned is that we are not perfect. None of us are. We will fail. And so if you come here to be present and expect everybody else to be perfect because you're trying to be perfect, I just want to let you know, 
We will let you down sometimes, but that does not mean we do not love you. There will be times where we do not live up to the expectations and you wonder why you're here. You might struggle at times, but I promise that though there are times where we fail, God's grace is abundantly sufficient and it is experienced here when we are with others. We journey with one another, even in our frustrations. If we cannot be patient enough to bear with one another, our sisters and our brothers, what on earth makes us presume that we can bear with a God that is eternal and mysterious? Jesus prayed that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one. Sometimes people ask me to explain that. What does that mean? And I can tell you, I don't fully know, but I know this. You cannot tell the story of God without telling the story of Jesus. I pray and I hope that we cannot tell your story without telling ours. If you can tell your story without telling the story of anybody else, then you are missing out on the chance to be one as Jesus and the Father are one. And when you can't tell your story without telling the story of a Christian sister or brother, then you will be telling the story of a God who isn't in your own image, of a God that is bigger than we can ever imagine of grace that is abundant and exceedingly more. Out of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, he didn't pray that they would be the most powerful group. He didn't pray that they would work the best miracles. He didn't pray all these things that we might think he should pray. He just prayed that they would be one. He prayed it for those that were there. He prayed it for those that came after. He prays it for us and for all those who will follow. It's not our opinions or our miracles that the world needs to see. It's our presence. When we are present with each other, God is present to the world, and the world believes. And when we are not present with one another, then the world finds it hard to believe. And in an age where isolation and division can make this world a living hell for some people, let's give them something to believe in. And let's be present in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen.